So James 1, verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and he goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is righteous and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. All right. So, unfortunately, I'm only going to get to a a little portion of that this morning. I know I told you we're going to try to move quickly. I just have a tough time with it. So, here in the text we've read, James, he starts out um, talking a little bit about anger, and then he... uh, talks about being a doer of the word, not just a hearer. And then finally, he gives us um, a few words on true religion or pure religion. And you, you may read all that and you think, how does that, that connect? And it can be difficult to connect the dots among all of these, but it's, it's not impossible. Uh, James certainly had a connection in his mind when he wrote these, uh, these words. This is a letter that James is writing, so he has a message that he's trying to say. Um, He has a point that he's trying to make. People don't tend to write letters with random thoughts and disconnected thoughts, so he's got an audience and he has something that he wants to get across to them and a point he's trying to make. And and, and as we move through it over the next week or so, a couple weeks, I'm going to try to connect those dots as best as I can. In verses 19 and 20, James appears to be addressing attitudes and behaviors that give rise to offense. You see that? James has he's got something to tell his audience about offense, about anger. And we're to assume that this is a problem that James is addressing in his audience. The problem that, that he had or that he noticed in the Christian communities abroad, backbiting and arguing and bickering. And um, I just want to say that's not new. <laughs> it's not new for James. Um, one person, you know, they think they have the answer to, to all things in life and godliness. And then another one uh, has a different answer and he calls him a fool and a, a false teacher. And, and there's just no, um, there's no charity. There's no love among them in their disagreements. We know from reading the biblical text um, in other places in the New Testament that Christians were plagued with this kind of thing. It splits churches. It um, creates unbelievers. It kills souls. 
this thing that, that James is warning them against. Paul had to address it pretty boldly in his letters when he wrote his first letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He, he said, I appeal to you, brothers. Now, that's some pretty strong language, I appeal to you, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be unified in the same mind and the same judgment. For, this is the basis of my appeal to you, why I'm asking you to do this, it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. You're fighting among yourselves, my brothers. And then later in chapter 3, in verse 2, he says, I fed you with milk. I brought you and gave you something easy to digest, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it. For you are still of the flesh. So they weren't ready to eat meat. They weren't ready to receive solid food because they were of the flesh. They're so carnal, fleshly minded and fleshly motivated. And why is that? Why are they so carnal? What makes them so fleshly minded and fleshly motivated? And let, let me just take a, a side note here. When, when you read the Bible and you ask questions in your mind, and that's what good readers do, they ask questions. That's how they understand. You ask questions. So if you're, you're reading the Bible and you're asking questions and you find yourself asking the question, well, well why would they do that? Why, why would they be so carnal? Why would they act like that? Why would they? Why would they? Why would this guy? Why, why would this happen? You need to turn that question around and say, is this me? Do, do I fit in here? Could the writer just as easily be writing to me? Do I fit? So when Paul says, you're not yet ready because you are still so full of the flesh, you're still of the flesh, you need to ask, is this me? Do I fit here? Could he be talking to me? And most often, the answer to that question is going to be, yeah, yes. He could be talking to me. So when Paul says you're not, you're not getting, you're not ready because you're full of the flesh, you say, is this me? And here we ask, why are they of the flesh? What is it about them that Paul recognizes that says that's fleshly? That's not spiritual. That's not godly. That's total man. That's flesh. And do, do I fit in here? Well, it's almost as if Paul anticipated us asking the question because he says, for... While there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So Paul goes, look guys, I'm, I'm saying that you're carnal. You're fleshly. You're driven by the flesh because you're so full of jealousy and strife. You're fighting. You're quarreling among yourselves. There's, there's strife among you. You guys don't seem to get along, so you're of the flesh. So that ought to lead you to ask the question, do I have a problem getting along with people? If conflict seems to follow you everywhere you go, it, it may be <laughs> that you're the problem. It, it just may be that you're the problem. 
And so we need to ask. That's why I'm telling you, when you're reading the Scripture, you're asking questions, and you ought to do that because that's how good readers read. When you're asking questions, you need to turn that around to you and say, don't read it with this high and mighty attitude, like, oh, that could never be me. Read it assuming it's probably you. And say, okay, Paul, teach me. I'm not going to be able to get there today, but that's what he says, receive with meekness the implanted word. That's what that means. Receive it with a teachable attitude. We'll cover that next week. So Paul's saying, I can't speak spiritual things to you because you're so fleshly, and the reason you're so fleshly is because you're, you're backbiting, you're quarreling among yourselves. So this, this isn't an isolated issue that James is dealing with. So James isn't the only one having to deal with this, and, and the church at Corinth isn't the only one dealing with this. And remember, James is writing to all the churches in the dispersion. So all the Christian communities outside of Jerusalem, um, you know, they're not in Jerusalem. He's writing to all the Gentile communities. He's writing to all of those people to say, hey, you guys need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I mean, ask yourself the question, if everybody is getting along just fine, why would James write that? Why would he say, hey guys, you need to listen more, you need to speak less, you need to, you need to not get angry so fast, because your anger is not producing righteousness. If everybody's getting along, okay, why would he write that? And oh my goodness, if there was ever a message for Christian communities today, we could just hang it right there. The anger of man James 1.20, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I mean, look, look at that. The anger of man does not produce. That's, we're talking about fruit. We're talking about the effect of the anger of man. The King James says that it worketh not the righteousness of God. Now, James didn't tell us where we ought to be looking for this production of right. He didn't say where it doesn't produce righteousness. He didn't say the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God in your heart. There was no qualifier there. He also didn't say the anger of God does not produce the, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God in others. He just leaves it there. The anger of God of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So I'm going to add anywhere. Your fury, your wrath at someone, over someone else, because of their sin, whether it's a sin against you or a sin against God, will never produce righteousness. Not in you and not in that person. Now, there is a case where we see this kind of thing on direct display among the disciples. So this, this happened, and it was dealt with by Christ. Luke chapter 9, verse 51, is where we see this unfold. It says, When the days drew near for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. So Jesus says, we're passing through. I need you to go ahead and make preparations for us in, in, in Samaria to pass through. And the Samaritans said, we don't want him. He ain't staying here. You just go on. We don't want him. They rejected the Lord. 
Look at verse 54. This is where the thing gets really funny. And when the disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, they said, Lord, you, you want us to, to call down fire from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Now, I, I've got to stop here, and I have to laugh. But not, not too much and not too loudly, because as the saying goes, there but for the grace of God go I. James and John. Now, now, this is not the same James that wrote James. This is not the brother of Jesus. This is the brother of John. A lot of Jameses in the Bible. It's tough to keep them straight. Um, this is, Jesus called James and John the sons of thunder. And that, you know, obviously that was a, an appropriate name for them. We're going to call down fire from heaven. Sons of thunder. But here they were, James and John, right? And these are the same James and John that they're walking with the Lord. The same James and John that saw Jesus transfigured into all of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. They, they called him Lord because he is Lord, right? They said, Lord. And this is the Lord that they saw transfigured, the same guy they saw transfigured in glory. They heard the voice of God, the Father, saying, This is my beloved Son. They heard it from heaven. This is the Jesus that they saw feed the 5,000 and then later saw him literally walk on water. This is the same Jesus who healed the sick and raised the dead. This is the one who caused the lame to walk and the blind to see and the, the dumb to speak. This is the one, the same man, the same Jesus, who is the Son of God, who they saw glorified, who they also said, man, he can even control the wind. And here they are, and they get, they get mad. They're like, Lord, you want us to do something about this? You want us to call down fire from heaven? We, we got this. I mean, this, I mean, do they know who they're talking to? Sometimes you got to wonder. And, I, and I, again, you know, i got to laugh, but not too, too much, because there but for the grace of God go I. Amen. Amen. I mean, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let me ask you, what, what spiritual good would it have done to call down fire from heaven to consume the people who rejected Jesus as he was passing through? I mean, you, you call down fire from heaven, you consume them with fire, you've utterly destroyed them. So guess what? Now there is no hope for salvation. There is no possible chance that they're going to come to see your way of thinking because you've decimated them. Think about that both literally and figuratively. In a, in a very literal sense, if you were to literally call down fire from heaven and literally consume them, they're dead. They're never coming around to see your point of view Amen. because you killed them. You've erased them. You decimated them. They're gone. But in the same way, in a figurative sense, if you rain down fire from heaven on them and you and when i say that figuratively speaking i mean like you you attack their character you you mock them you hurl insults at them you publicly embarrass them and ridicule them and cause them to be publicly scorned you decimate them guess what mission accomplished 
You've destroyed any chance that they will come around to see your point of view. And as for the rest of the world who gets to witness that, that great event, oh, wow, you took them down hard, didn't you? As the rest of the world who gets to witness that, guess what? They don't trust you now. They're frightened by you. And no one opens up to someone they don't trust. James and John were jealous for Jesus, though, weren't they? I mean, I've, I've heard that. Oh, but their heart was right. No, it wasn't. I mean, it's a good thing to be jealous for Jesus, isn't it? But even this, even, even, even this can come from a place of pride, which is sinful, and not love, which is pure. These guys were attached to Jesus. They laid everything down and left to go with him, Right? So they're attached to him. They've identified themselves with Jesus. So when Jesus was rejected, they felt rejected. And they were offended. So they, they wanted their offenders to pay. I mean, on, on the surface of it, it looks like these guys, James and John, it looks like they had righteous intentions. I mean, this is Jesus. He's the, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Nobody rejects the king. Nobody slaps the king in the face and, and survives lives to tell about it. This is an offense to the whole kingdom. And to be honest, think about it. Isn't that how the world works? That's how things work in the world, isn't it? Because the world is driven by things like pride and selfish ambition and selfish desire. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. In the kingdom of God, what are we supposed to be known by? Our love. They'll know you by your love in the kingdom of God. If the disciples had been acting out of their love for Christ and their love for their fellow man, love for one another, they would have had a very different reaction to being rejected in Samaria, Amen. to Christ being rejected in Samaria. This is, this is where Christian love comes from. I love the Lord so much because He has done so much for me right? That overflows. That's that vertical love. That overflows into the horizontal love. So instead of, instead of being angry, if they had been acting out of love, if the disciples had been acting out of love, their love for one another, their first reaction would not have been, hey, let's just call down fire from heaven and destroy them. They would have instead have had compassion. They would have pleaded with Jesus, Lord, can we, can we stay a little bit longer? Instead of let us rain down fire from heaven and destroy them, it would have been, Lord, let us, let us go talk to them. Let, let's, just get, let, let's talk to one or two more people. Just give us a, an opportunity to try to help them see you the way that we see you. I know they've offended and I know they've rejected, but let us take the offense and the rejection for the glory of your great name that they may know you and love you as we do. Isn't that the Great Commission? See, there, there's danger in 
and forgetting where you've come from. Sometimes we can walk so close to greatness that we start to think that we are the great ones. We've been invited. You know, we got the inside scoop. We're the special ones. And, and when someone else doesn't quite get it or when they don't see what we see or act how we think they ought to act, we get angry rather than compassionate. I spent several weeks preaching about this very thing when we covered the Great Commission a while back. This was the attitude of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They were the betters. They had the answers. They had all the knowledge, and they were the ones who performed all the rituals. So clearly, they were the ones that were highly favored. They were the wealthy ones. They were the ones in the know. They were the specials. But Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And you, you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. That's Matthew 23, 13. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It shuts others out, and it keeps us from entering also. See, this this cancer of offense and anger, as I said, it was not unique to the churches that James was writing to, and it certainly isn't unique to the time period and the culture that James is writing to either. I would say that with the, the rise of uh, internet communications and the ability for everyone to speak to everyone all the time, at the same time through social media and things like that, we are doubly and even triply susceptible to this cancer today. Now, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. And... Uh, By virtue of that, matters of theology and doctrine are of great importance and great interest to me, mainly because I'm I'm charged with teaching and explaining those things. I better know what I'm talking about, and I better get it it right. I don't want to get things wrong. So um, I, I like to get input, and I like to see other perspectives. I want to make sure that, you know, the Bible tells us to test everything, so I'm, I'm bumping what I believe up against what other people have said and, how, and their interpretations of Scripture. So my social media feed is full of people from different, different perspectives, different denominational backgrounds, different theological back- backgrounds. So I, I get to have a, a little look into, uh, you know, Christian social media. I've got a lot of pastors and authors on my Twitter feed. So I get to see Christian Twitter, which is, and I use quotation fingers around that because it's not very Christian. It, it, here's the thing. It amazes me the people who can be so acidic and so toxic toward one another under the banner of Christ. There's, there's so much infighting over secondary issues. So much of the language that is used is not charitable. It's not merciful. It's not loving. It's just plain angry. I've seen it over and over again. All it does when, when people get that way, when they start spouting off anger and offense, all it does is it causes both sides of the debate to dig their heels in even harder. It divides even further because anger of man does not produce 
the righteousness of God. Now, I promise you that you have seen the very same thing. You may not have a bunch of preachers and, and book writers on your social media feeds, and you may not even do social media at all, but I promise you, you have seen it. I know you've seen Christian people who claim to be brothers and sisters nearly come to shouting matches, even almost coming to blows over things like election results and COVID policy. And it's a pitiful crying shame. The Apostle Paul said that the faithful servant of the Lord does not get entangled in civil pursuits. And why is that? We're just passing through. This ain't our home. We're citizens of a different kingdom. We should not conflate those things. Stand up for what's right, absolutely. But for goodness sakes, to come to blows or to come to near blows with your Christian brother because you disagree on public policy? On, excuse me, on COVID policy or the results of an election? That's a shame. Do you remember we had the Ballards here several weeks ago? Um, they were headed to the border to minister to the needs of people down there. Um, I mean, look, you can look at the situation, and there is absolutely no denying that there is a crisis at the border. People are living there in terrible conditions, regardless of whether or not they've come here illegally. There are at least three things that remain true. Number one, first and foremost, they need Christ. Number two, they need food. And number three, they need shelter. Basic needs of every human being. Whether they're here illegally or not, those are the things that they need. And they need those things whether or not we allow them to stay. Many of the people who are down there are children who have had zero choice in whether or not they came here. Do you know that, that God commands that the sojourner and the stranger be welcomed and treated well? And when God speaks about the sojourner and the, uh, the, the, the stranger and how we are to treat them, he tells us that they ought to be treated so well almost that we treat them better than our families. Well, that's hard to do. That, that's what the Scripture says, though. And I'm not, I'm not up here trying to make a statement about border policy or, or our lack of it. <laughs> that's not my point. You know, good people can disagree on, on that. What I'm saying is that you cannot deny the reality on the ground that there are great numbers of people who are there now. And the vast majority of them are suffering and they're scared. And many of them, and I would say probably the majority of them, they came here thinking they were coming to the promised land. They came here to escape something. I mean, you, you don't just uproot your your family and your life and put your kids at risk without hope. I don't, I don't have an answer to those, those problems at the border, to our immigration policy, our border policy. That is for politicians and government to, to figure out. And I pray that they have level heads and that the Lord give them wisdom in, in how they work it. I don't have an answer to those, those things. But what I do know is what I am supposed to do. 
loving my neighbor. Okay? I do know that in the story, I am supposed to be the good Samaritan who does not turn a blind eye to the suffering of others. Not the priest and the scribe who walked on by and didn't pay any attention to it. I'm telling you all of that to say that when Ryan and Marla were down here, um, were down there in, in Mexico or in, at the border, um, they, you know, we, they had a lot of supporters uh, to help them make that trip. They used their own time and their own vehicle, and they, they went to Costco and Sam's and bought supplies. You know, they, didn't, they weren't working at any organization. They just wanted to go because the Lord said go, and they, they wanted to be of help. And we, we helped them. We took up an offering for them. We gave them a generous donation to help them with those expenses. Father, so they wanted to show people who had, who had sewn into what they were doing that this is the product, this is, this is the product of righteousness that, that you have sown. This is the fruit of your hard-earned money and prayers. Thank you. So they posted pictures, they posted testimonies about that, about what they were doing. And, and one of the people, it, it just shocked me. I was just dumbfounded took the opportunity on social media. And this is a man whom I've worked with in, in ministry capacity. We've worked on, on a team to minister to other people together. You know, I would say we're Christian brothers. But this guy, he took the opportunity uh, of them posting, you know, praise and, and pictures and thank yous and glory to God to publicly rail them. I mean, three or four paragraphs long, just berating them. How dare you take that money down there? How dare you take resources down there? We have problems here. How dare you? And he, I mean, so much as to call them to repent and turn from their wicked ways. It was stunning what he said. It was just ugly. Ugly and completely out of line. He was angry and hateful in his speech. Now, here's the thing. He may have had a valid point to make. He may have had a valid argument for the wise and proper use of time and resources, you know? But he absolutely blew it. He blew it. Any, any validity he had, any leg he had to stand on, any hope of getting anyone to see his point of view, which I think was wrong, but any hope of getting anyone to agree with him, he blew it. Because he was not slow to speak. He was not slow to anger. And the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So, so back to James. I've got just a few minutes. It's, it's clear to me that the people that James is writing to, the people in his mind, they have a problem being offended way too easily at one another. Right? So <laughs> don't we get offended easily? Boy, our egos are so fragile. Uh, our culture, and, and I, I, we can blame the culture, we can blame the state of fallen man. I don't, I don't think this is a new thing, but I do think the quickness of it and the frequency of it is relatively new. Just given the way that we're communicating these days, they didn't have that back then. We can get offended by someone across the world that we've never known, that we've never met, because they said something and we get to hear it, whereas in Jesus' day that would never have happened. So, I mean, we just have more opportunities for offense. And it seems like people are always just looking for opportunities to be offended. That's what our culture relies on. Who can be the most offended? Who can display the most outrage? Because in an outraged culture, the one who has the most outrage and the most reason to be outraged, they are the, they're the specials now. 
Now you're the better one because you have the most often. I don't, how did this get so turned upside down? Our default setting should not be outrage. Because James says that's wrong. That does not produce the righteousness of God. Our default posture should be one of listening. When I was growing up, my, uh, I liked to talk when I was growing up. Not so much now. It's, it's crazy that God has me here. Um, but when I was growing up, if mom and dad were having a conversation, and I walked up and asked a question or interjected, I was very quickly shut down. I cannot tell you the number of times I heard, son, children are made to be seen and not heard. (laughs) Or God gave you one mouth and two ears. Listen twice as much as you speak. James says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Proverbs 14.29 says that whoever is slow to anger has understanding. Now, that just makes sense to me. If you're slow to anger, you have understanding. Because the heat of anger or the offense, the heat of the offense is often cooled or even prevented by just knowing both sides of the story. Just understanding What's going on over there prevents a whole lot of anger and offense. Quick to listen, slow to speak. See, we're, we're not omniscient like God. We, we have to work to find the truth because a lot of times the truth is hidden and buried. Amen. We have to work in order to uncover motives and reasons. You know, most often, and I, when I say most often, I mean more likely than not, the thing that you're offended over is just a misunderstanding of motives. And rather than working to uncover the truth of being quick to listen and slow to speak, what we end up doing is making assumptions. We assume things about people. Maybe that's why I had to say what I said this morning, because I've been thinking about that. I don't, I don't know. Something I, I taught my kids a long time ago, and I don't know. Y'all might fire me for this. Who knows? Um, it's a little crass, but it's true. Would you put... The word assume up there. You, oh, it's already there. What? And I always ask my girls, what happens when you assume? Well, you, you make a... Out of... You make an... Out of... And... Don't fire me. That's King James. It's okay. Right? So here's the thing, that does not mean that we offer excuses for wicked or sinful behavior. Sympathy, though, sympathy, which is the ability to see and understand another person's circumstances and their point of view, is a huge, it's a major step toward mercy. In fact, just look at this. This is one of the reasons that the preacher of Hebrews gives us for trusting in the person and work and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So he knows what it is to be in our shoes. Our high priest, who is Jesus, knows what it is to walk in these shoes. 
He knows what it is to live in a life the way that we have to live it, to face the same challenges that we have to face, face the same offenses that we have to face. In verse 16, then, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, since we know that he gets it, he understands. This is not foreign to him. He has been in my shoes. Since we know that he has walked here, we can go to him with confidence to get mercy and grace. He's going to meet me with compassion when I approach him for mercy every time. He will meet me with compassion and understanding when I approach him for mercy every time because he is faithful and just to forgive. I'm not going to be met with the anger and the wrath of God when I approach him for mercy. For goodness sakes, his throne is called mercy. This is our commandment from James this morning. Let every person be quick to hear Slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I know, just because you're people, that some of you are angry over things. You've been offended over things. And, and the things that you're offended by and the things that you're angry over, you have not taken the time to go humbly to whoever it is that has offended you and just listen. Your anger will not produce unity. It will not produce brotherly love it certainly won't produce the righteousness of God. Wrath destroys. Why do you think it is such a terrible thing to come under the wrath of God? What a sad existence we would have if that's all there was. So, Thank you, God, that you met us with compassion. Thank you, Lord, that you are slow to anger and quick to forgive. Thank you that you took the time to walk among us, to show us your great love in Christ. And I just pray all of us would become more and more like him. The wrath of God, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you once again in Jesus' name. Father, I know that um, sometimes this can be hard, especially when we look inward. And Lord, James even talks about it, about the man that looks in a mirror and sees himself and then he walks away and forgets. Sometimes when we look in the mirror of your word, we don't like what we see, and we just want to forget it. But Lord, that's the danger that we have in, in not remembering who we are, where we've come from, and what you've done for us. How can 
we who have been forgiven so much be angry at other people for their slight offenses to us. Lord, I pray that this word would work within us unity among the brethren. That when we say brother and sister in Christ, we we mean it. That those words aren't just something that rolls off the tongue because it's culturally acceptable to say it. That they are, are words that ring true. Lord, help us to love one another not just for our own sakes, but for the sake of the world. That they might, might see us, might see our good works and glorify you.